right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. You don't got time Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. Uh, the Chiefs won. They're going to the Super Bowl. Nothing nice. else happened this weekend. No other sports-related things happened. That's pretty weekend. sick. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And uh, that's all that happened this weekend. Nothing else. Oh, well, nice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, no, unfortunately, we got to break down the KU-Iowa State game today. Cause, the who uh, and the what game? Yeah, Iowa State hit a lot of threes, which was not fun. So we're going to talk about that. <laughs> we'll also uh, talk about the KU women's basketball game coming up later this hour. We have... Chiefs talk coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, including NFL Monday overreactions. We'll get around what happened in the Big 12 over the weekend in it's college pretty basketball. pretty crazy on Saturday, just yeah. beyond KU. It really was. It really was. Yeah. And continues to be each and every night and day in the Big 12. RCST is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Let's start right here with the KU-Iowa State game. Iowa State comes out victorious 79-75. to Hey, KU covered the spread, though. I mean, depending when you got it. Barely. Four and a half. You need the last second yeah. three from Kevin. You did buy I me mean, for a team that... They keep winning without covering the spread. Isn't this better? Isn't covering the spread? That I mean, that's what makes people money. No, Isn't that I don't more give important? a damn about no, no damn spread. Okay, well, no. in that case, KU might be in some trouble here for uh, the Big 12 goes. But we'll kind of circle back around to that. Okay, uh, so I mean, this is just another game where, yes, there are other things that, that we're going to talk about here. But I think without a doubt, the number one theme of the game, the number one thing that sticks out about the game was Iowa State's three-point shooting. Yeah, I mean when you look down the when you look down the box score at the end of the game, it's pretty even. Both teams shot right at around forty five percent. KU actually out rebounded Iowa State. Turnovers were pretty much equal. Iowa State eleven, KU at twelve. Iowa State did have more points off turnovers, which I think was that probably was the bigger stat compared and KU to KU had more straight. live ball turnovers. Yeah, compared to just to like you could look at just the number of turnovers on their on their own. Right. But the points off turnovers, I think, was was something to keep an eye on. And Iowa and it was State eight did to have five in steals, so that would help that. Yeah, and Iowa State had six more points off turnovers, but still, it wasn't a game where the like Iowa State has won a lot of their games by forcing a lot of turnovers. That like that wasn't. No, K did a good job there. K did a good job there. Dewan Harris had a, had a pretty pretty strong game, uh, and I think if there you're gonna was one key moment that we'll get into, but yes, I think if if you're gonna sit there and berate Dewan Harris when KU struggles and say, oh well, he needs to do a better job. You got to give him some flowers a little bit when he does when he when he plays well, right? Seven assists, two turnovers, end up scoring nine points in the game. That's pretty good. So I think Dewan Harris really handled the situation pretty well. Uh, didn't have like an elite game, but did his job. Did did well enough. Uh, and so and again, KU out rebounds Iowa State, uh, and uh, they did it well. KJ Adams was in foul trouble, which by the way, I don't know about you, I really did not think that Bill Self was going to sit KJ Adams for the entirety of the first half after he got a second foul, but he did. I thought with like four minutes left, he'd bring him back in. He never did. Never brought him back in. I think part of the reason why is they actually, I mean, they handled they were the holding their own. well, right? No, they were holding their own, for sure. The The beginning of the second half is when things started to get a little bit out of hand there. So, I mean, yep. I can understand why. I thought Parker Brown played well in stretches, especially in that first half. But, yeah, I mean, yes. uh, Iowa State came into this game uh, averaging in Big 12 games 18.9 three-point attempts per game. 
They shot 30 of them. They came in shooting 31% from three in conference play. They shot 46.7%. Iowa State took basically as many twos as they took threes. Typically, twos go in more than threes, right? Sure. They were 14 of 31 on two-point shots. They were 14 of 30 on three-point shots. <laughs> they were better. Yes, they were, they were better from three. And they started amazingly. the second half six for six from three. They hit the first yeah. six three-point shots in the second half, which yeah. is just unheard of. Bonkers. And you got Trey King, a career 12% three-point. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, he, literally, I mean, career like 22%, though, or 21% three-point shooter. Uh, he comes in and just gets hot for no reason. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so I, think made, King, I think he made three threes all year coming into that game. He's a, a fifth-year player. He started his career at Eastern Kentucky where he was for three seasons. Then he transferred to Iowa State where he was last year, and this is his second year this year. And he had a so, big game against KU last year. I think, yeah, here, here's Trey King's year-by-year three-point numbers. Four of 18, three of 22, 19 of 56, four of 15, 7 of 23. So what that means, because he went 4 of 7 in this game. Yeah, so he had three threes all, yes. all, all season. Coming into the game, coming into the game with KU, he had played 42 games in his Iowa State career. <laughs> he had attempted 31 threes, so less than a three per game. Yep. And only made seven of them. He went 4 of 7. Yeah, and so I think I think this this naturally goes into the the three point defense conversation, right? Because sure, when when we look at what has I guess plagued KU here in in their last two losses uh, on the road, and you know the, it's it's been a thing for a while now that it feels like there's just going to be this guy who can't shoot that's just going to come in and and hit a bunch of things. You know, oh, he's made two threes in a game one time all season. He's made four today. Like that happens all the time to Kansas, but usually it's like one guy. You know. Right now, it feels like it's happening overall as a team, you know, <laughs> and, and to everybody they play. I guess the TCU game, that was really one guy because that was uh, Trey Tennyson yeah, was the Trayvon one guy Tennyson. there. Travion Tennyson, yeah. Uh, UCF shot 35% from three. That was not a great three-point shooting team. For them, that would be above their worth, but that's also not, like, deadly from three. Raekwon Battle was not a good three-point shooter. Yeah. Really. He hits a bunch. West Virginia shot 57%. Now, Iowa State shoots 47%. But, and, okay, the difference, I, I will say this. Against West Virginia... KU's defense was was not very good, not really sharp. I think against Iowa State, what makes this one really frustrating is KU overall played a pretty solid game, I think. Well, I think you got a good performance out of Dewan Harris. Hunter Dickinson played pretty well. Kevin McCuller was inefficient at some bad turnovers, and it was probably his worst game. But, uh, I, don't, I mean, it's not like he – I don't know. I guess it's hard to say maybe if it was his worst game. I guess maybe it was. But Johnny Furphy got a good game. KJ Adams was impactful in the second half. Like, you – I, I came away from that game against Iowa State thinking, man, you know, what really sucks most is this wasn't a situation where you could just say, okay, we didn't do X, Y, or Z very well, and that's why we lost. It was, KU, I think, overall played pretty well, and you just got a team that it was not a good three-point shooting team coming in, just rain threes on you, and that's why you lost. And that just, that just makes me want to punch a wall. It's so infuriating. That's happened multiple times now already. Uh, well, and, and I think that's the debate that the KU fans are having today, and we're having over the weekend. It's is the is the defense is the three point defense just bad? Are they doing something wrong? Is it is it luck? Because there there were people arguing both sides, and, and it seems like it's a very divisive conversation right now. Um, so our friend Mr. Palm, yeah, Mr. Palm, Ken Pomeroy, actually had an article in the Athletic recently, uh, basically talking about the randomness of three point defense. And he used an example of Kentucky playing against, like, VMI or something where they shot, like, 50% from three, and then they had a bunch of games where they didn't shoot very well. And he basically makes the argument that, yes, 
there actually is a lot of randomness when it comes to three-point shooting, and it's hard to say one way or the other, you're a bad three-point shooting defense team or you're a good three-point perimeter defense team. Like, there's like yeah, you can run guys off the line, yada, 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 et cetera, whatever, but it's there's it's more random than not random mm-hmm. is kind of my takeaway. Right. Well, and, and I, I do think there is both um, because here's the thing. Yeah, obviously it's not black and white. It's a gray area. Right. So it, it is right now Kansas' opponents are shooting 37% from three against them in Big 12-only games. That That is a high number. You could give up open threes a good amount of the time, and you're still going to a lot of times have opponents on average shoot below that in college basketball. This was uh, this was the closest thing I could find. This, this was an article in The Athletic from the 2021 NBA season, so a few years ago, but it just it illustrates this to my point. Uncontested three-point percentage, so when threes are wide open in that 2020-21 to 21 season, they shot 39.6% from three. This is the NBA, so different, but just the same idea, right? It's basketball, whatever. Sure. Contested three-point percentage, 34.1%. So you can see there is there is a sizable difference there. The problem with that is that is over a sample size of an entire season with every game played, right? And in a one-game sample... Oh, by the way, in the NBA, you play 82 games. Yeah, in a two-game sample, in a three-game sample, who's to say that those numbers don't bear themselves out? Point being, if you can test more threes, it might not... It's more of a process thing, right? It, it might not matter in one game. You can contest all the threes. They can still make them all, right? That's where the luck part comes in. Over the long haul, though, if you continue the right process, you continue to contest threes... They're not going to go in as as at high of, or at as high of a rate. Now, how many were contested? I actually went back and, and went. This is just me eyeballing it. So you know, you might argue with some of the numbers, one or two here or there. But against Iowa State, they made 14 threes. Obviously, I counted five of them as being wide Which, open threes. By the way, 14 was is the most they made all season. Yes, it's mostly made in like two in or like, three seasons. Yeah, right? in, a, in a while actually. Okay, so uh, Iowa State made 14 threes. Five of them were wide open. So you would say, okay, that's a third of threes. That's maybe too many. Two of them, though, were Trey King. And going back to the Trey King conversation, Kansas said going into the game, that's part of the scouting report. We're going to let yeah, him shoot wide open In threes, all right? caps and bold letters at the top of Trey King's scouting report, it says, not a shooter. Yes, let him shoot. Because in Kansas's eyes, they're going, if he shoots two or three threes, there's a good chance he's only going to make zero or one, and that's going to be good for our defense. And worst case scenario, a guy who coming into this game had shot 31 threes in 42 games at Iowa State, how many threes is he really going to shoot? Is he going to shoot two at most? Is he going to shoot three at most? Worst case, he goes two for three. That was not obviously the worst case, but that was the thinking going in. I think that was a good calculated risk. You can't take away literally everything. You don't have a good enough defense to do that. You have some good defensive pieces. You're not good enough defensively to take away everything. So I think that was a fine strategy, but they made some of those. Then semi-contested made three. So like you kind of got a hand there, but maybe you were a little bit late or maybe you didn't get up as, as far as you could. I counted seven of them, so that was half of them, which those would be just, I think, most normal ones. I did count the Keyshawn Gilbert one to finish the game as one of those, which you could argue maybe it was great defense. I I think that Furphy, just a freshman, didn't have full, full wherewithal of the shot clock winding down, and he gave him the step back when he could have got more on him. But also two of the semi-contested ones were made by Trey King. And then ones that I counted as great defense where it was just like, Okay, that was kind of like an NBA shot. Like, you couldn't have done anything differently. Curtis Jones hit two of them. He had, like, a, a few feet behind the three-point line. Hunter Dickinson contesting. That, that one was terrible. He had one where he passed it, immediately got it back, and shot it, even though Furphy was all up in his grill. and he still I mean, I it. wanted to jab my eyes out yeah. after the Hunter Dickinson one. So, I mean, point is, like, some of them were contested. In fact, more of them were at least semi-contested than they were not. And I, I asked Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, to look this up for me. So, shout-out to Kevin on this, who uh plan is to have him on tomorrow on the show. Uh, on Synergy, they have a number where it shows 
what percentage of your jump shots are contested versus uncontested as a defense. Kansas on the season, 42% of the opponent's offense's shots have been uncontested. It almost sounds like a high number to be like it half sounds, their shots. It does sound pretty It's high. not as much as you would think. Houston, who has the number one defense in the country, who held UCF to under 20% shooting like a week ago, who held Kansas State into the 50s, who yeah. um, is just this dominant defensive juggernaut. Yeah. It's about 39.8% of shots against them are uncontested. So Kansas is not that different than Houston in that number. And there is a little bit of, you know, subjectivity, what is contested, what's uncontested. I get that. But, like, that is not that big of a difference. So point being. There are areas where you can tighten up. There are areas where you want to get even more contested shots. There are areas that KU is going to be more limited in just by the personnel of playing two bigs and having a slow big man with Hunter Dickinson and, you know, playing more of a drop coverage. Obviously, all those things contribute to KU being more prone to teams who can shoot the three. But that's the part about this. Iowa State is typically not a team who can shoot the three very well, and that's supposed to actually be okay for Kansas. So um, I am in the middle. There is bad luck involved here. There is some things Kansas can do differently, but I, I guess the biggest part of all this is you could still have the same argument as the West Virginia game a little bit in that even despite the other team going bonkers from three, you still could have found a way to win the game if a few things go sure. your way. Now, maybe that's yeah. unfair the more I think about it because basically by the other team doing that well from three, it basically gives you no margin for error, and it is only natural to have error over the – I mean, we're, it's humans, right? You're not going to have many games where you have two turnovers like the OU game. But Kevin and Hunter couldn't shoot in the first half. Kevin struggled shooting until the last, whatever, two minutes of the, the game. Um, even though the rebounding actually favored you, they ended up with more second-chance points. They did more with their offensive rebounds than you did. Like you said, the turnovers weren't that bad, but they did more off the points off turnovers. Yeah. And the, the big thing to me was the end of the first half. That was the big sequence right there. It's Kansas is up 26-25. They have the basketball. And if they're able to secure the ball and get a shot up, they get a two-for-one. Worst case, you go on defense, try to make a stop. Worst case, as long as you don't do anything stupid, you're down 27-26 or 28-26 at halftime, right? And that's based on... If you miss two shots of a two-for-one and you give a bucket at the other end in half-court defense. But because they turn the ball over, I, I don't know if uh, Tamin Lipsy poked the ball out or Dewan just lost it. He kind of goes up with it to the right and it, it flops out of his hands. And Lipsy goes down the other end, gets the transition opportunity, gets hit on the face by Parker Brown, gets the flagrant foul. He, I think it's one of the free throws there. Bill Self gets the technical because he's mad about the call. Uh, free throw there. So now you're talking about Two-point swing just on the flagrant and technical. That yeah, never happens if you don't turn it over. They got very lucky because yeah. uh, Lipsy was 2 of 4 on those four. Right. So, I yeah, mean, it, it was basically kind of like, I guess I guess you call that a wash. I don't know. Well, no, and then they four, also but get, but the they get the ball back. Yeah, obviously that's the big part of it. And then Marco Jackson messes up the switch, and Mom Chilovich ends up hitting an open three in the wing. So that is a five-point swing that didn't need to happen that all yeah. yes they were well, all independent mistakes I guess, by different people but if you don't have that one turnover none of it happens i guess when it comes to the self technical the argument you could make on that is 
Lipsy goes two of four, so that's kind of a wash. And then they were gonna Iowa State would have gotten the ball anyways because of the flagrant foul called against Parker Brown. I, so to, I guess the technical was like didn't really matter. I no, guess. to be clear, I'm not like blaming Bill Self or blaming the tech. I'm just saying all of those things oh, that yeah. happened were as a result of the turnover, and that's what's. But I mean, obviously the Parker Brown that was clearly the flagrant. Oh, I, again, I'm not arguing anything. <laughs> I'm just saying all of it was a result of the turnover happening. And I thought Dewan actually played a good game. I thought that was yeah, one me of, too. Dewan's yeah. better game of Big Twelve play. Absolutely, but I think he deserves to be. Given uh, some recommendation, some commendation for that. I agree, but it's also frustrating that what ended up to me being the key moment of the game was your veteran guard who today got named to the the Bob Cousy top ten list, which I was a little surprised by. That it started with that, and that was I think a little bit yeah. frustrating as much as the three point shooting. But then you added up. I mean, Kevin McCuller had what his worst game, right? This Probably season? his worst game of the season. Yeah. Which obviously he's he has set an incredibly incredibly high bar for himself by mm-hmm. playing the way that he's played to start the season. But yeah, man, another any finish another inefficient game from him where he still was able to score, but the inefficiency really hurt. And then he did have some couple bad turnovers late in the game that I think really hurt Kansas as well. So yeah, so I mean, I, if you add it all up, like you say, okay, the the opposition went fourteen of thirty from three. They came in with a top five defense. One of your best players, if not your best player, with Kevin McCuller, had his worst game of the year. And even despite all that... It was a two-point game with a minute left. Yeah. Exactly. So... On the road, also. I I think there's two ways of looking at this game and and the result of it. There's the bare result in what happens, the repercussions of you losing this game, is that you're 4-3. and You're in a situation now where if we're talking about 13-5 and wins the league, you got to go 9-2. and And this ain't... I, I don't know, the Big 12 from 10 years ago where that feels a little bit more possible. Well, and again, I mean, the, the unbalanced schedules is, right. what, is what hurts now because, you know, you lose in Ames, and in the past you'd say, well, you can get one back at Allen Fieldhouse. Mm-hmm. And that and I, that's really even what's significant about that is in the case of, like, Iowa State or even Texas Tech, who's currently ahead of Kansas, who Kansas is going to have to go to Lubbock and they don't get Texas Tech at home either, is when you get a team at home like that, not, it's a chance for you to get a win and also pull a game back yeah. on that team, right? Oh, for sure. And I mean, if and you that's just not going to happen from the standpoint of okay, nine and two the rest of the way, even if you hold serve at home, which Allenfield has magic. It's also not a guarantee. Oddly enough, the last time they went undefeated at home was like 2018, 2019. They usually are good for like one loss there, because um, you still have to play good teams like Houston and Baylor and everything. But even if you are able to hold serve at home, that would mean. You have, let's see, five road games left. Texas Tech. That means you need to go three and two between at K State, at Texas Tech, at, at Oklahoma, Oklahoma, at Baylor, and at Houston. Which That's, Oklahoma they can do it, right? Oklahoma seems pretty winnable. Sure. I know Texas Tech is in first place in the conference right now, but I think the general consensus mm-hmm. is they're not unbeatable, obviously. Right. Same with Kansas State. Uh, you know. Kansas State, you know, uh, you know that environment is going to be turned up, but. Kansas State, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. We've seen you know, Kansas win a Baylor before, right? Sure. You can win any of those games. But when you collectively put them together and go, yeah, you got to hold serve at home and go 3-2 and two on the road there, that, that becomes a very difficult I mean, we, I mean, we've touched on it, right? Like, what ha- the, the West Virginia loss, the UCF loss, and I guess now even the Iowa State loss, what those mean is is that you've now lost your margin for error yeah. going into this stretch, right? I mean, before it was, okay, if you can start 7-1 and one in – your first eight games, or eight and one in your first nine games, and I mean, there's a pretty clear cutoff with it with this Oklahoma State game coming up tomorrow night. After that game is when you hit, you know, the gauntlet, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea was, if you're eight and one, or even seven and two, 
hitting the gauntlet, you have margin for where if you take a loss at Lubbock, if you take a loss at K State, it's it's you can still survive that and be okay. Well, if you took well, a that, loss here, yes, I, I think honestly the frustration of this loss but that's no longer the case. It it more so is a result of those first two road games. If you win one of the two between UCF and West Virginia, don't you think I'm not saying people, yeah, I'm not saying people would be cheery about losing, but You'd don't feel you think okay. more people would be on board of the yeah, just tip your cap to what Iowa State did than what it is now where it feels like there is a bit of panic going on. Sure. Because at that Definitely. point you'd be 5 and 2, you'd be half game back at Texas Tech, you'd have the same record as Houston, right? Yeah. I I think that's what it comes down to. The the problem with this loss isn't the loss it's your loss. The biggest problem with losing to Iowa State was that you lost to UCF or West Virginia. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the unfortunate part. I will say, though, there is a part of me that because Johnny Furphy continued to play well, like he had some big yeah. shots in that game, you know? Yeah. Because I don't expect Kevin McCuller to, to struggle that much. Because Dewan Harris got out of a, a little bit of a rut, so to speak, I guess. Yeah. The, I, I kind of feel like when you look at because the Big 12 has a balance, unbalanced schedule and because KU's gotten off to a bit of a slow start, maybe the Big 12 isn't in their cards this year. I mean, they could still win it. It's still Bill Self and KU. I, I don't put yeah. anything past it. But I actually feel okay about this team's trajectory for the NCAA tournament, which normally when a KU team is struggling in Big 12 play relatively to what they do, it's like the the, the, it's the sky is falling not just on they're not going to win the Big 12. It's they're going to be a first or second round exit. Now, I have seen some KU fans say, I think they're going to lose in the first weekend. I think they're going to lose in the first round. That That's just natural. It's going to happen. I actually feel better about this team in the NCAA tournament than I do for the Big 12. Well, so let me let me ask you this. And part of it, too, is the lack of depth. The lack of depth hurts them in Big 12. It doesn't hurt them as much in for the sure. tournament. But let me ask you this. Obviously, this is somewhat of a silly question to ask because of who Kansas has as a head coach with Bill Self. But if, if you are going to go as far as to say, hey, winning the Big 12 is basically a lost cause at this point, does that change the calculus, the mindset at all of Bill Self of the staff to say, hey, you know what, we're not going to win the Big 12, so maybe toward down the stretch we need to, instead of trying to win every game and play Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller and, and those guys 39 minutes a game in late February, maybe we should just not do that and try to get some minutes back to where when we hit into March we can have a good chance to go with for I, I understand right. Bill Self is the guy that – we're gonna every game we're gonna win, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously that's the right that's that's the attitude you wanna have. I'm just saying now, like, if if there's if you believe that KU is now set up better to go and make a deep run on the tournament than they are to win the Big Twelve, would you not subscribe to the idea of, okay, maybe we should throttle back some of the starters or something to where maybe we end up losing more games because of it in the regular season, but in a better position for the NCAA tournament? Okay, so two answers to that. One Going back to the Bill Self thing, I do not think Bill Self will do that because I think— Yeah, no, it's it's kind of a—it's right. it's a bit of a silly conversation to have because, yeah, Bill Self is, we're going to win every game mm-hmm. we play. And I think in Bill Self's mind, it's the best way to teach is by getting them to win in close game, you know, yes. like giving no, them those, I, yeah, I get those experiences. I think for you can have a very reasonable argument that could be the case. Now, I, I know you used the, the term lost cause. I know you're not referring to it right now. Um— Let's say they because I right now. But what, I mean, let's just say you get into yet. the middle of February yes. and you're sitting at you know, I don't know, seven and six in conference. Sure. And you know you're and you know and like Houston or whatever is it, you know you're mathematically yeah, so you're not able say, to make up those say, games. Let's uh, say between these next five games. So yeah, you beat That's Oklahoma State. Obviously, worst case scenario. Right. Let's say you you win your your two home games against Oklahoma State and Baylor. 
but you lose at home to Houston, at K-State, and at Texas Tech. That puts you at 6-6. Six and six. At that point, do you do what you're saying where you're just like, you know what, maybe if we give El Marco and Timberlake a little bit more minutes, maybe we can develop them come March because at this point the Big 12 is out of play. Yeah. And again, not have Dewan and Kevin playing 39 minutes a night sure. every single week. And keep them rested for the end of the year. I think there is a valid argument to that. But would that I don't happen? expect that to happen. I don't know. So it would require Kansas being at that point where they can exactly. officially say, yeah, we probably have to punt on the Big 12, which, which they're again, still not at that yet. Yeah, they're no, a, that is They're not case. in a good position, but they're, they're still not at that point. You're in a position right now where, listen, you're Kansas. You can go out and still rip off a bunch of wins, like you said. If they win both the, games this week, you're you back. Really feel like you're back, right? You're, you're Even though they're both back. at home. Specifically because, because again, Houston. you beat Houston, not only do you get a win, but obviously that then levels you up with Houston, right? So you're back if you're 6-3 and three after this week. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll break down the KU women's basketball game coming up here shortly. But also, uh, let's get to a Rock Shark Pickhawk recap and more KU basketball talk. This is RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Well, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. We'll break that down in the 4 o'clock hour. We'll also get back to the KU basketball takeaways coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. we got some Bill Self audio to share with you both post-game and from earlier today here on the show. Rock Chalk Pickahawk, uh, let's see, it was a low-scoring game, to say the least, because I had Kevin McCuller, who only had one. KJ Adams got me two. And then I lost a point from Parker Brown, lost four for Jamari McCall. So you took Kevin McCuller with the first overall pick, right? I did. Yeah. It was not smart. No, it wasn't because my boy Hunter Dickinson mm-hmm. had 23 pickhawk points. He did. And that was enough for you to I, win yeah, because the I rest of your team combined had negative 12. Yeah, I could have won the game. I Yeah, should have just forfeited the rest of my picks. I know, seriously. Uh, yeah, Furphy had negative five, even though I thought he played well. Uh, Dewan Harris had negative two. Nick Timberlake had negative five. And I... Looking back on that game, like Kevin McCuller, it's not just that he was missing shots; like he was he was missing like wide open threes. You know, yeah. There was yeah. one stretch where I I think he was like oh for five or oh for six from three at one point, and it was like four or five of them were wide open threes. Yeah, and then there was like one between where he like made the three when it was like a practice shot. And it was like oh, oh I do remember. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So he, I remember that they throw it to him in the corner. He misses the three. Foul called on the rebound. Gets it back. He gets it, or, or then he then he. Or there's a foul called the rebound, and he shoots yeah. it when the, during the foul. like yeah. during the foul. So it didn't count, and it goes okay. in, didn't count. Gets then right he comes back. right back. They run a play for him again in the corner, same exact spot. Doink, break. Yeah, and so I think that's another thing that you would look to and be like, well, that's just kind of crap luck, you know? Yeah. No, it was annoying. Yeah, it but yeah, really you annoying. ended up winning eleven to negative two. So congratulations, you are back on your winning ways. There we go. Best part of winning ugly, <laughs> winning baby. Come on, You're now don't let me get 15. hot. And I am now fifteen and eight on the season. I mean, would this be would this be an all time collapse if I come back and, and Oh, and I think that's you? fair. If you come back and beat me, yes, I will feel like that is a, a big time collapse. Wow. But it's not gonna happen. So I don't have to worry about it. I mean, would it be worse than like Falcons twenty eight three? No, I wouldn't go that far. Really? You're up by eight you're up by eight wins. Well that was up by twenty five. Yeah, but so okay. Mm-hmm. Let's think about this for a second. We're in the second half of the season here on Pickhawk, right? Yeah, what is what's my magic number to win? Yeah, cuz let's see. KU let's see. Has got, how many 11 games we got more left? conference games? 11 games plus however many Big 12 but tournament games know. there are. So we'll say like what? Although three? last year I think we just combined it was one tournament, you know. Okay. So one game one win for the entire tournament. Although maybe we gave it th- three wins, but it was just one conglomeration. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Well, okay. let's just so let's, 11. let's view it from the standpoint of the regular season. Well, if they only have 11 games, your magic number is only like two more wins. Yeah, because I'm up seven, so that would mean your magic number is three more wins, right? 
If you win three more, then yeah, I... Yeah, I, I think if I get two more, at worst, I could tie. Yeah, if you get two more, you can tie me. Yeah. If, and then if you get three more, you win. Okay. I think I can do that. Wow. Three and eight. When you put it that way, it, it sounds like I have a lot more of a challenge. Yeah, maybe this would be tougher than the, the Falcons-Patriots. <laughs> I think it probably would be. probably is. Now that I think about it, 25 points in the NFL is actually just four scores. Yeah. This would be, this would be needing like, more than that for yes. wins. Double that. Yes. Know? Yes. All right, well, uh, we'll do another one of these tomorrow for the KU-Oklahoma State games. I suddenly feel like I'm not in a very good spot. No, I, no. I Earlier I was like, oh, pff, easy comeback. I no. offered you before this game, I said we could make ranked no, games or no, double. No, You chose not no, to. No, no, no. because then you come back and say, well, I had to, no. I had to, we had to change the rules no. just so you could come back. I'm a man of my word, and I offered you that, but you decided not to. No, because you I, then you just, I, right I have to hear you complain about you how, well, it's kind of right technically now. you didn't come back because, you know, you got some extra wins in there. Well, no. It's your fault. I offered it to you. Got to do it the hard the way. Olive branch. KU Women's Basketball recap next. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. Super Bowl! Super Bowl. What? Super Bowl. Who? Super Bowl. What? That's where the Chiefs are going. Wait, really? Yeah. Dude, that's Vegas, awesome. here they come. Wow. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are playing another Super Bowl, and it is really cool. It is, is really cool, cool to watch a team who goes to the Super Bowl. I swear, no, it's a lot of fun. Growing up, you, you know, you're used to just dormancy and playoff losses and... Tyler Palco and Tyler Thigpen and all the Tylers playing quarterback. And then, boom. Brody Croyle, baby. Here come Patrick Mahomes and the boys. Six years, six AFC championship appearances, four AFC championship wins. That's Even nice. the two championship losses took overtime. He's never lost prior to overtime of an AFC championship game. That is amazing. Pretty good. And now he's made four Super Bowls. He's won two of them. We'll see good. if he can make it three this year. Yeah. It, uh, it never gets old. It really doesn't. No, it's awesome. I mean, listen, Chiefs win in 2020. I think I maybe I don't know if I ever told you this. Chiefs win in 2020. At the time in 2020, I was 22 years old. Okay, my dad was like in his late 40s, early 50s. That was the first Super Bowl win either one of us had witnessed. So you can't take this stuff for granted. You can't take it for granted. No, you cannot take it for granted at all. Uh, yeah, really awesome stuff. Chiefs, they're they're just they're just better, man. I don't know what else to say. And uh, this is a game where the Chiefs should have won by probably a lot more. I mean, they didn't particularly. Take I think advantage you could argue it both ways. I think you could argue it both ways. You could make the argument today if you're a Ravens fan, if Zay Flowers just holds on to the ball. Oh, cry me that. a river! Well, no, I'm just that happened to the Chiefs against the Bills. No, hold on, hold on. I'm saying, cry if me a river. If you're a Ravens fan, you could make the argument. You get a touchdown there. You can make an argument if Lamar doesn't throw into triple coverage uh, for some dumb reason. That they get a field goal there, and you can again, say, hey, we score 20 points, right? Cry more, cry harder, try again next year, or maybe try again never. From the other perspective, you could make the argument that, yes, the Chiefs, you know, they, they had a they couple drives that down. stopped. Yeah, they, they, had, they had a drive that had 
what, what three three consecutive two consecutive holding penalties. Yeah, one of them was not a great call, and then they also at touchdown. the end of the game, you know, if if they're not running the clock out there after the pass to MVS, they're kicking a field goal, or getting a touchdown, and they end up with twenty or twenty four. So yeah, yeah, I think you probably so, argue both ways. Ravens fans, cry me a river, seriously. Better luck next time. Maybe you look for a new quarterback. Lamar Jackson can't win big games. Fraud alert. Big time fraud alert. And, uh, oh, by the way, your boy was right on Friday when I said, put the ball in Lamar's hands. He ain't going to beat you. Guess what happened? He had the ball in his hands, and he didn't do jack. That was the weirdest part of the game to me. That I guess not the weirdest. I, if you phrase it as, hey, we're going to give the ball to the NFL MVP and let him try to win the game, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But when you frame it from the standpoint of, like, the Ravens were the best rushing team in the NFL, and the Chiefs the week before, like, the Chiefs have obviously had a, an unbelievably great defense this year, and it's not like they're bad against the run, but if you're comparing them against the run to them against the pass, like, teams maybe have a few more opportunities in the run. Like, the Ravens have not been down by 10 points all season. That's crazy. All season. And when you look at the, the Chiefs being without Derek Naughty and Willie Gay being injured— and Charles Manahue getting injured in the game, it would have made sense for the Ravens to be like, hey, we saw what the, the Bills did last week in the first half. Of We're just going to try to pound it down your throat. And guess what? And they the didn't. four times they gave it to Gus Edwards, he did pretty good. He had three carries for 20 yards. Oh, oh my bad. Three well, times. he had four touches. If okay, you count four touches. touches. But three yes. carries, yeah. Almost seven yards a carry yeah. when they gave it to him. And Lamar But they panicked. Well. They right. got down. They didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know what? We're just going to try to give it to Lamar. Now, and that's exactly what I wanted them to do. I did see, though, because if you look at the numbers, they averaged 5.1 yards per carry. I did see a stat from somewhere else that was like there were 500 and, I don't know what it was, 88 games, like team games this year. And among that, the Ravens' offensive rushing success rate ranked like 583rd. So maybe they were having less success than on, on designed run plays. So if you take out the Lamar scrambles... And I guess Gunnar yeah, I mean, Edwards had one 15-yard run. The other two went for five. So, I don't know. Maybe they being, were having less success than I remember. But I'm being somewhat facetious with the Lamar sucks. Uh, he's terrible. But talk. no, he had a bad game. But listen, because he did he did make some nice plays. I mean, he sure. threw the pass to himself. That probably should have been an interception, which uh, I, it's it blows my mind that any time a quarterback passes to himself for a positive play, it happens against the Chiefs. In the playoffs. In the playoffs, too. Yeah, by the way. Uh, so, that's insane. He should have been sacked about three different times and scrambled out of it, and one of them actually was what led to their touchdown. And another one was uh, a play where he should have gotten sacked and he somehow threw it away. And then there was another play where George Karloftis was hanging off of his back and he got away somehow. I have no idea how he the one that. that could have been the uh, intentional grounding one, right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Lamar did make a few plays here and there, but it was not a good game for him. He struggled, and just as I predicted – Put the ball in his hands, and I like the Chiefs. And that's exactly what happened uh, because the Chiefs' defense made plays. Even though they weren't always getting him on the ground, they were certainly affecting him, and uh, he wasn't really able to scramble really that much. And then uh, and then late in the game, the triple coverage throw happens, and, uh, yeah, that's that's the end of Lamar. So, sorry. Yeah. I feel no, bad I, for Ravens fans because I mean, it's like, dude, you got a guy who is literally the NFL MVP – and he just he just doesn't have the 
He doesn't yeah. have the clutch gene. He but even then, the, I will say, it. like, Lamar ended up with 54 rushing yards. He had 13 receiving yards. He had 272 passing yards. He would have had two passing touchdowns if Zay Flowers doesn't get the one punched away. Thanks for throwing in the 13 receiving yards. Yeah, the the, the QBR was only 42.9. Now, that would have gone up with the touchdown there. That I don't know what it would have finished as, 50 or 60 or something like that. So, yes, there were issues for Lamar. But honestly, to me, this feels less about Lamar, and this feels more about crowning the Chiefs' defense. Yes. Because, dude, what have I been trying to tell you the past three weeks? It's it's elite, man. The Chiefs, they are a defensive team. Mm-hmm. Play to your strength. Play to what you're good at, well, which is the defense. I think that's what has been the, what you just said, play to your strength. That has been the theme to me of the postseason in their three games. Defense, your strength is defense right now. And on the offensive side of the ball, what is your strength? It is four guys. It is 15, 87, 4, and 10. Yes, Patrick Mahomes, Isaiah Pacheco, Travis Kelsey, and Rashi Rice. Well, guess what? Patrick Mahomes completed uh, 30 passes. 19 of them were to Travis Kelsey and Rashi Rice. As it should be. Actually, and if I add Isaiah Pacheco, who he said was part of that, it's 23 of them (laughs) were to those players. Nobody else had more than two catches on the team outside of those three guys. That's how it should be. Except, obviously, you need other guys to step up, which MBS does. Here and there, though. Here and there, not not consistently. And and yes, he did with the one catch again, which MVS continues to be the world's biggest wonder of how you can be this dominant postseason player with being like the worst. So I was thinking about this. Regular season guy. You tweeted tweeted out MVS and used the baseball analogy Mm -hmm. with MVS. Is MVS Alcides Escobar? Yeah, I got somebody else responding to me to that like a week ago too. I think that one makes sense, right? Alcides Escobar. Like a 20-hitter in the regular season or whatever. And then he hits like 350. Yeah, there's a lot of... um, like Cody Ross. If you look at his 2015 numbers, it's it's, it's oh, pretty eye that guy in the Red Sox in like 2018 who went off? Anyway, yeah, uh, Alcides Escobar um, for his... Like look at his 2015 numbers. ...career, he hit 258 with a 295 OBP. And if you're looking at his postseason batting, he hit 311. So, like, yeah, that's a good... That's definitely a good comparison, for sure. Yeah, MVS, some, MVS, GOAT. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, the Chiefs, listen, keep it simple, stupid. Play your defense and give the ball to your best players. 15, 87, 4, and 10. When you do that, you're going to have some good things happen, probably. Sure. And that's exactly what's happened. And Mahomes was great. I know they didn't score in the second half, but like it felt like they they dumbed things down in the second half when they were up in what they were and with the score the way it was and with the way that the defense was playing. It felt like Andy Reid was kind of just being like, hey, let's just sit on this. Now, I don't love that <laughs> idea, but we see Andy Reid do that all the time. Um, because that was a very vanilla second. Like, I loved the first half. Patrick Williams had, like, 20 completions in the first half. They were yeah, coming they out. Were they were taking the attack to the Ravens, who were the number one defense coming in, and they scored 17 in the first half. Second half, they played way more vanilla. They weren't really throwing on first and second down. When they were throwing on, like, second down, they were just throwing little swing passes, little screens that weren't really working. So they weren't really throwing downfield, which I, I didn't appreciate. But I don't think that was a Mahomes thing. And in the second half, when you really needed it, that big third and ninth throw, he hits MVS. And for the game, he had a 91.1 QBR. So yeah. against the league's number one defense, for what he did, it was spectacular. And every key third down, every key, even, like, the fourth down, they converted in the first you quarter. You got the crazy diving catch by Kelsey. I mean, it's, it's Mahomes and Kelsey just making magic, yeah. you know? And beyond that, think about this over the Chiefs' last three three postseason games. Patrick Mahomes has not turned the ball over. Not only has he not turned the ball over, he really hasn't even put the ball in any situation to be turned over. He's been great. I saw somebody from Pro Football Focus said that yeah, Mahomes— zero, zero turnover-worthy throws. Yes, yeah, zero turnover-worthy throws, and, and he had—I'm trying to think how many dropbacks he had. 
41 dropbacks? Yeah. Because he was sacked twice? Or I don't know, if it, maybe a few more because of uh Which also, on top of that, guess what? The When the Ravens sacked him, that was the first sack he taken all postseason also. Which is crazy. You don't get sacked. You don't have turnover-worthy throws, especially in the postseason. You're probably going to have a decent chance to go be successful and win some games. But see, that's what's so weird about this because I want to say we should have never doubted them. And, and you... You I've doubted really them doubted less them. than I did, but you did start to, to teeter when? on the fence after the Raiders loss. I don't think you fully got over it. I was just really depressed after the Raiders sure. loss. I don't I wouldn't say that I doubted, but I was like, Yeah, maybe not doubted. So no, I've been I've been Team Chiefs all along. Well, and and I started I mean, I, I started to doubt that this was possible around then too, because like that that's the weird part well, about listen, this. I, I didn't really ever doubt them, but at the same time, I don't think I can sit here and like Grandstand and say, "Oh, you doubted them. You doubt because, sure. like, the, it, how could you blame somebody for doubting them?" No, that's the thing. They are so different than where they. Were. This isn't just the case of they're playing the same football that they did all season, and it just happens to be working. The postseason, they're playing yes. different football. Literally, like, they flipped the switch. Like some of the Literally. things are the same. The defense was great all season. The defense has been great in the postseason. Like that yeah. is Cardo. Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes. Okay, that carries over. But Travis Kelsey over the course of the regular season was looking a little slower. That's still it, good tight end, right? Pretty clear now that that week of rest Saving for the Chargers game really, really made a big. And that, yeah, he looks spry. He is having an unbelievable postseason. He has like twenty three catches over the course of their three games. And now you're going to have season you know an extra week of rest, yeah. for the Super Bowl. And he had what eleven catches against Kyle Hamilton, who's one of the best like safety linebacker hybrids in the NFL. Yeah, it's tough because Kyle Hamilton, all things considered, actually played a great game. Mm-hmm. He was. Like pretty even the touchdown was good coverage. Was he was, he was pretty impactful catch. in the game. But yet he still gives up the touchdown, and obviously the Ravens take the L. So right. that sucks, Kyle Hamilton. Enjoy your trip to Cancun. But, like, that's a tangible difference. MVS being able to catch the football, and not just catch the football, but catch, like, hard-thrown Tough balls, catches. right? Yes. The one against the Ravens, the, the deep one against, the, against Bills, the Bills, right? Both of, both of his That didn't happen in the regular season. In general, the receivers have just been better. I think it's a combo of MVS, combo of Kelsey looking more spry, combination of guys not dropping it as much and catching it more, and then probably a combination of uh, all those with the usage being better that um, no Sky Moore right now, no Kadarius Tony right now, and just basically saying, hey, we're going to use Rashi Rice more. I mean, listen. These boys, they've said it all along. The writing was on the wall the whole season, mm-hmm. and some people were just not paying close enough attention. They've been saying it. We're a January team. They're a January team. Guess what? It's January, and here they are. You're seeing the Chiefs. But again, that's so weird to me because literally at the end of December, they had all season long. Like This wasn't the case of a team who like for the first 12, 13 games, it was like, I don't know about this, but then the last month or last three weeks, it was like, okay. Well, yeah, because you, know, you go back to last season, and in December, that was the that right. was the month of Jarek McKinnon, I'm pretty sure, it was December of last season, and they, they were, were rolling. rolling off. They were rolling, yeah. Even in your second-to-last regular season game, which was your last real regular season game, because the, the last one was obviously the backup swing. Yeah, against the Bengals. There were still some things where it was like, that's wasn't, what they're normally doing. That's what yeah. they've been doing. They, they win a lot 10. of these games, but things yeah. are happening, right? Yeah. So to go from what they were to completely flipping the switch is is incredible to me. And the defense, I think, deserves the most shine out of all this, as great as Mahomes uh, was. I mean, yeah. You blanked them, uh, or, or the offense, I mean, was blanked in the second half, and you still won on the road in the AFC Championship game against the so, presumptive MVP. I've been trumpeting all along. Josh Allen never going to win a Super Bowl. Got to throw Lamar Jackson in there, too. Oh, He's never going to win one either. 
I did see somebody uh, say on, on social media, they're like, Patrick Mahomes is going to be Jordan in the 90s. He's going to prevent. We're going to look back in like 10, 20 For years sure. and be like, man, that guy was unbelievable Hall of Famer. How did he never win a title? Josh Allen. Yeah, right? Lamar Jackson. You look back, you're like, oh, how did uh, I mean, John Stockton? Lamar Jackson how did- is going to be a multi-time MVP right. and have absolutely jack diddly squat to show for it. It's pretty incredible. It really is uh, what they were able to do. Drew Tranquil was fantastic. He had eight tackles. He was all over the field. Legereus yeah. Sneed getting the punch out on the Zay Flowers play was, was yeah. I think, justice, I guess, a little bit. I thought Justin Reed was phenomenal. Uh, he blitzed a few times. He had the yeah. one big sack. I love Justin. Good in coverage. George Karloftis. I I don't know how you can not appreciate George Karloftis because the effort that he shows. Yeah, and he doesn't get so a lot insane. of he doesn't get a lot of uh, limelight. I don't think. No, he doesn't. I mean, you have Chris Jones and a lot of these great DBs and linebackers and everything. The dude, you see him on the sideline like getting oxygen before. Um, I mean, I, one dude, of the, the drives at the end. Furious George. It's a fitting yeah. nickname. I mean, like, if you gave, because Chris Jones is an unbelievable player, and he's one of the best closers in the NFL. He obviously, and and I understand why, like, it's so hard to be 300 pounds and literally every single snap, <laughs> give her 100%. I feel like George does that somehow. If you gave George's motor to Chris Jones, which I don't think Chris Jones has a bad motor, but he definitely no, will take some been, plays off. Well, no, but there's been years in the past where Chris Jones has played Absolutely. 80, 90% of snaps. Yeah. If you give George Karloftis' motor to Chris Jones, he would have 30 sacks. <laughs> what I do think is pretty clear with Chris Jones, and this is obviously kind of looking ahead to like the offseason, if you're not going to bring Chris Jones back, I think you need to make a splash with some interior defensive lineman signing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like maybe you're saying, okay, we can't pay Chris Jones $30 million, but let's go out and get somebody that we can pay 20 to $25 million that's going to be – not Chris Jones, but mm-hmm. just but like close to that level. I wouldn't because be surprised if that happens. That has been such an anchor of the defense. Yeah. Well, if you think about it this way, like when they let Orlando Brown go this year, they didn't just let Orlando Brown go and be like, hey, we're going to bring in a veteran on a cheap minimum. I mean, I guess they sort of did with Donovan Smith. But they basically replaced and said, no, we'll go out and pay Juwan Taylor. Now, that hasn't totally worked out, although they're in the Super Bowl. Not his exactly, thing. But thing. It's you like, know what I mean. Oh, well, that didn't work out. That yeah. didn't work out. No, well, did it? It worked. Did out it work out? Because they're in the you know Super Bowl. I mean. You know what I mean, though. But yeah, um, just Chiefs defense, man, so so good. And I I think it'll uh, be very interesting to see when you look at the matchup now with the 49ers. I feel like the natural inclination of the conversation that we're going to hear the most from the national perspective is going to be Patrick Mahomes looking to cement you know conversation of goat status. Versus Brock Purdy trying to become one of the greatest, I guess, underdog stories we have in the NFL. It's irrelevant, yeah. Right? And the, the I don't know, everyday average Joe Brock Purdy versus the superstar Patrick. Like, you're going to hear a lot about that. You're going to hear a lot about the offensive weapons. The, the tight end play, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. I mean, for my money, the, the Chiefs defense has to be like one of the primary stories of the Super Bowl. And the Niners' defense has been good. It's good, but like I'm almost struggle. more interested in the Chiefs' defense versus the 49ers' offense than I am the Chiefs' offense versus the 49ers' defense. Because what's fun, you go back to the Super Bowl when they met in 2020. That was the matchup. It was the Chiefs' offense versus the 49ers' defense, right? Yeah. Specifically their front four. Now, to me, it is the Chiefs' defense against a 49ers' offense that is loaded with weapons. Christian McCaffrey, best running back in the NFL. Uh, Trent Williams, best tackle in the NFL. Debo Samuel, top 
15 or 20 receiver in the NFL. Brandon Ayuk, top 15 or 20 receiver in the NFL. Uh, George Kittle, top five tight end in the NFL. Like, the amount of weapons that they have is incredible. And the fun part about it is with the Chiefs, it's like, okay, you have Debo Samuel, we have LeJarrius Sneed. You have Brandon Ayuk, we got Trent McDuffie. You know, we, you got this stud tight end, well, we got Drew Tranquil. You know, we got we got three good linebackers. You got Justin a Reed. stud running back, like, okay, well, we have Chris Jones. You have a stud def- uh, left tackle, well, we have George Carlisle. Like, there are so many fun elite player matchups on that end of the football. I think this is going to be an awesome Super Bowl. I really do. I'm excited for it as well, certainly. Uh, although, <laughs> Mahomes losing to Brock Purdy, would he would not, nobody would ever be able to let him live that down. For sure. No, I mean, I mean it's, it's, I it's mean, it's wild because the Niners are favored. Right. Like, they're the betting favorites. But, like, from a legacy standpoint, Mahomes would never be able to be the GOAT because he lost to Brock Purdy. <laughs> but then again, I mean, Brady lost to Eli Manning. Would Brock Purdy be Patrick Mahomes to Eli Manning? Eli it's Manning like, is way better than Brock Purdy. Is he? Yes. Is he? Yes, definitely. Is he? Yes. You sure? Yes. Why? Brock Purdy's got the greatest weapons of all time around him. Eli Manning. You're, what, you're gonna tell me he had like 500 interceptions in his career or something. Or <laughs> Here are uh, some interceptions by season for Eli Manning. 15, 17, 17 18, yep, 20, yep, 10, yep. 14, 25, 16, yep. 15, 27, 14, 14, 16, 13, 11, 5. Eli Manning was a good quarterback. I, I don't, if he doesn't have the Super Bowls, he wouldn't make the Hall of Fame. I Objectively, like Eli Manning now, but is better than Brock Purdy right now. It's not even close. It's not even close. How many Pro Bowls do you think? I don't know. Pro Bowls are bad. Eli Manning? We have you in it. This is hilarious. Eli Manning's career record, 117 and 117. Wow. That's interesting. Hmm. Anyway, I don't know. I Was Eli Manning ever like in the MVP conversation? Probably. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. That is interesting. But yeah, so like... But why was... Brock Purdy was not in the MVP conversation. It's one of those Brock things, Purdy. too. Because he had that's fair. Best team best weapons. I know. It's one of those things, too, where it's like the say it out loud test. Is Brock Purdy really going to beat Patrick Mahomes in the Super That's Bowl? That's what I'm saying, yeah. But then again, the 49ers are just that good. Are they? Like, as a team, yes. They are that good. Well, they didn't look very good in the first 40 minutes of the game against the Lions. Yeah, but how many games did the Chiefs do that this year? And they still won. That's just, uh, you, you win games. You find a way to win games. And it also, sure. like, it, it'd be very weird like, there's a part of me that's like, okay, like you said, they're underdogs. It's only like a point or a point and a half. But that would make three straight games that the Chiefs have been underdogs. Are we going to look back in like three years and be like, because if I were to tell you like there was a, a, a Tom Brady championship run outside of his first year, because this would, I mean, Mahomes already has two Super Bowls, that you were like, yeah, Tom Brady was an underdog in three straight playoff games. We would have looked back on that and been like, that's psychotic. How did everybody not become rich? Are we going to look back on this Maybe. in a few years and be like, can you believe Vegas made Patrick Mahomes an underdog three straight playoff games? How is everybody not rich? Yeah. So I I don't know. There, there is like the say it out loud test that, that favors the Chiefs here, but that's why you play the game on the field, and uh, yeah, 49ers are pretty loaded as well. All right, we'll uh, break down the Super Bowl a little bit more throughout the week. We've got all this week, all next week to do it too. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Big 12 Breakdown next. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Half past the hour, you're listening to RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We get to our NFL Monday overreactions coming up in about 15 minutes. Uh, lots of action around the Big 12 this weekend beyond Iowa State beating Kansas. But uh, Texas Tech went on the road and got a close victory at Oklahoma. And the result of that is now Texas Tech, who 
I mean, we've mentioned them being in first and, you know, had a few conversations that we think they're a good team and it's a tough place to play. I don't know that we fully considered them to be, like, a legit long-standing Big 12 title contender. No, we really haven't. Are you there now? They're sitting at 5-1. Uh, and one. So, first of all, why have they played one less conference game than everybody else? We talked about this last week. Everybody gets one. one oh, and they've already year. had and they've it. They've already had theirs. Okay. Which, honestly, that's probably kind of bad to have it this early. I would want the rest later in the year, wouldn't you? No, I agree, yeah. Which KU's is later in the year. Uh, but, I mean, Texas Tech will be at TCU tomorrow. So, I mean, they could easily drop that one. Yeah. But 5-1, and one, they don't have a return trip to Lawrence this year. They don't play at Kansas. They already played Houston, and they don't play and they Houston got, twice. They got smoked. They did. It was at Houston. They don't play Houston again at home. So, they only play Houston once. They only play Kansas once. That seems to be pretty fortunate. And then as far as Iowa State, they only play them once. So that's a pretty pretty nice schedule to have. Are you giving Texas Tech a legit shot at winning the Big 12 or at least like Man, earning a share or something? I don't I don't think I am, no. Because I I'm, I'm I'm starting to think Oklahoma is maybe not that great. Mm-hmm. And uh so I don't know. The win for Texas Tech at Oklahoma doesn't really do a whole lot for me. I I get I mean, it's on it's road win, so I guess it should count as a lot but yeah man i don't know i mean because you're right all of the big 12 title talk has been well texas tech is in first but pff, they don't have a chance it's really you know houston kansas whatever i would say you know whoever else, right so i don't know i mean i guess at what point do you start to take them really serious i don't know i'm not really giving them much of a chance though to be honest if they Maybe that's wrong of me but well, I mean, the, the schedule for them, as I mentioned, Tech is, fans is a little can come bit throw tortillas at me if they want. Uh, I don't care. So I'm they're at TCU versus Cincinnati at Baylor versus UCF versus Kansas. If they go three and two in that stretch, they'd be eight and three. But Kansas could be eight and three at that point. Sure. So could Houston. Yeah. Puts them in the running, though. Yeah, I still, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm still not ready to quite go all the way to say that they're, they'll like win a tie. I, I think yeah. they're a tournament team. Yeah. I think they're probably top 25 team. I think they're yeah. a good team. I'm not quite ready. If they win at TCU, if they win both games this week at TCU versus Cincinnati, I'll be there. Because well, I think TCU is very good. They should win against Cincinnati. TCU, I, I don't know about the TCU game, though, because think about that. TCU is coming off of a triple overtime game mm-hmm. against Baylor. Now they got to do a quick turnaround in three days. Yeah. And play Texas Tech. The weird thing about Tech has been their top 20 offense right now nationally. Defense is top 70. We've seen Tech so many past years where it's been all about the defense. And yeah. Grant McCaslin, who's more of a North Texas guy, he was a defensive guy. And they played it like one of the slowest tempos in the country. Well, yeah. tempo's been on the slower side, but they're 268th. That's a lot better than like 360th, where which they've is been. what they were last year, right? So, yeah, so With, very uh, different. North Texas. They shoot a lot of threes, they shoot them at a high rate. I think that just shows that Grant McCaslin, honestly, is a really good coach. That he's I think like he willing is, to adjust to whatever he has. Yeah, I think he's a really good coach, too. So I, maybe that makes them more likely. I don't know who. Okay, who who do you give more credence to as a Big Twelve title contender, Tech or Iowa State? Who I did say on Friday, I said if Iowa State wins this game, they no, would sit at five and two. They would have wins over Kansas and Houston. They don't have a return trip to Lawrence. I would be considering them as a real Big Twelve title threat. So are you? I am. In fact, I got them at ten to one. So Big Twelve. We 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 touched on this uh, last week when we were talking about title contenders and how. Every team in the conference has a week where they have two road games in one. Yeah. Guess what? Maybe I should have waited Iowa until State, after this week to bet that. It's yeah. this week. Mm-hmm. They're at Baylor and at Texas. But if they just go one and one there? If they go one and one there, it's I think maybe you start to buy in a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, they're at Baylor. And dude, talk well, about a team that now desperately needs a win. Baylor. Seriously. I mean, the fighting Scott Clown, the fighting Scott or sorry, Scott Drews. Uh they need a win badly. These are their if Iowa State can make it to the home stretch, the final 5 games with a decent enough record. They probably have one of the easier final 5 games of Big 12 slate. Versus West Virginia, versus yeah. Oklahoma, at UCF, versus BYU, at Kansas State. Yeah. They could easily go four and one there. So I, I am taking them for real. I actually am taking them more for real than Texas Tech by just for them a little bit. will be interesting because of some of the things that transpired. I bet you that'll be a good crowd for K State. But yeah, they also get Texas Tech at home, which helps them there. Yeah, it's what's nice. up with that? How did okay, what? if if the top four teams in the Big Twelve, I don't know if this'll end up being what it is, but if the top four teams in the Big Twelve end up being Kansas, Houston, Iowa State, and Texas Tech, Iowa State would have only played each of the other three, Houston, Kansas, Texas Tech, once. once yeah. All of them in Ames. This is what I meant no, about— No, Iowa, uh, Iowa State plays Houston again. Oh, the they road. do? Yeah. Okay, that makes me feel better. Yeah, it is. I, I, I miss that. But still. Yeah, they, they do play Houston again on the road. But no, to your, no, I mean, still, you get It's just four like games, the unbalanced schedules. Three it's, of them at home. It, it makes no, the conference title less listen, meaningful. I'm starting to turn on this, on this whole thing. Yeah. Like, this sucks. Playing everybody twice was more fun. I agree. This is not fun. I mean, I get the idea of like you want to make the Big Twelve the best basketball conference, but I don't know. I'm starting. I'm kind of out a little bit. What if they I went need to, to get Brett on the phone? Brett, if they went to like a wait, how many teams are they gonna have next year? But see, no, 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 no. Because I told you this is exactly what happened. I know. You get to twenty teams, and you're like, well, why don't you just make it into two different ten team divisions? Well, then why don't you just make two ten team conferences? What, what are we? What are we doing here? Oh, wait a second. You want to make everybody play so that it's more regional, regionally based and it makes more sense? Wow, it's almost like we had that and then you blew it all up for yeah. TV contracts. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah, I already Ridiculous. miss it. I already miss it. To be oh, oh, let's just go to a 20-team league and have two 10-team divisions and we'll have the 10 teams all play each other regionally. Oh, you mean like we had it literally before? Oh, wow. Yeah, sweet. Well, we yeah. got uh, Houston at Texas tonight. I think Houston can legitimately win a national title. This is a big game tonight, though, because I, I, there's two thoughts about going into this game. I don't know about you, but I hate playing teams coming off of, like good teams coming off a loss. Because typically, good teams bounce back. Yeah, sure. So on one hand, you could view it as like, do you really want to play Houston if you're Kansas coming off a loss to Texas? The flip side to that is having Houston lose to Texas would be helpful for Kansas in the Big 12 title. Especially if you then beat them. Yes, if, if you two losses in one week, be huge. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, maybe we are talking about twelve wins getting the conference. Yeah, but still, yeah, in the back I of mean, my mind. Yeah, with Houston, I mean, even you look back, and uh, I think Mr. Palm had this one. Ken Palm had the uh, had this where I think Houston, their defense metrically, not only is it the best defense in the country, it's metrically the best defense in like the last twenty years of college basketball. I mean, they are on a different level of defense. And the question is, A, can you keep that up throughout the rest of the Big 12 Conference play? And B, you just hope you don't run into a team that shoots the lights out from three in the NCAA tournament and that knocks you out, right? Because it's not like they're overly impressive on offense. I mean, LJ Cryer is a great player. Shed is a good offensive player and a good facilitator. But they don't, I mean, I don't know, they don't blow you away on offense, do they? No, I don't think so. It's just their their defense. Yes. But I mean, the defense is that good. You look at the efficiency, and the offense still does rank like relatively well. Like they're top fifty; they're actually ranked higher than KU. But it's more of like a rugged offense 
Uh, LJ Cryer hits shots at a very high level. Don't get me wrong. Jabal Shed's like a really good guard. Yeah. But they're not like an elite shooting team or anything. They get a bunch of offensive rebounds. They're athletic and everything. And that is that is the one thing uh, about teams that are built that way in the NCAA tournament. You can be the best defensive team in the world. Going back to the three-point luck conversation. Yep. All it takes is one team going yep. Here comes from three, 2018 right? Villanova to ruin your season. Right. And so, for instance, like I think back Kansas team two years ago. You played Creighton in the second round in which they had one of those performances, but you still beat them because your offense was good enough to to have enough firepower. If that type of game happens Houston in the second round, do they have the offense to match the firepower? I don't know if they do. Maybe. But I, I, I do think they can win a title. I don't know if they'll be my pick. I do think they're in that that discussion for sure. They will not be my pick because my Who pick, would you go with right my, now? My pick will be Kansas. Okay. <laughs> if you couldn't pick Kansas, who would you pick? Oh, jeez. Um... I don't know. I mean, it, like UConn's pretty good, I guess. I, I can't pick Purdue because they're gonna lose to a four. They're gonna lose to a, a fifteen seed or sixteen seed, whatever. I don't know. They, okay, Purdue loses to another sixteen seed. Let's say it happens. Matt Painter fired. That is a wild hypothetical. So you lost sixteen seeds back to back years. I know they had good enough seasons to be one seeds. They had unbelievable years back to back years. Because of one game back to back <laughs> years, but albeit a very big one. No, I don't think he would be fired. I don't think he should be fired because the tournament's so random. But like, it, it would be different if he was, for instance, if he was the coach of Kentucky and that happened. Yes, he would be fired. It's Purdue. Well, Cal's lost to 15 seeds multiple times. He hasn't gotten fired. Has he? He lost to St. Peter's. And then he lost What's again to somebody one? else. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure he probably lost to somebody else. I think you're just wishing it into existence. <laughs> I'm sure Cal probably lost to a 16th seed right. and, you know, probably lost to a 15th seed. I mean, they I lost uh, the first round of the NIT. No, no, no. They, they've, they've, they've lost. <laughs> okay. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. NFL Monday Overreactions next. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. KU basketball takeaways coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, including some audio from Bill Self. From after the Iowa State game, we also have audio from Bill Self from earlier today ahead of the Oklahoma State game. We'll share that in the 5 o'clock hour, too. And more Bill Self later on at KLWN from 6 to 7 for Hawk Talk right here and our sister station, 105.9 Kiss. The NFL Championship Sunday took place, and now the Super Bowl is set. Let's overreact. NFL Monday overreactions to the championship. You know, we don't get to do very many more of these. No, sadly. Over the course of the rest of the season. Sadly. In fact, we basically only get to do... One more. I, mean, I guess we could overreact to the Pro Bowl, but that doesn't feel very <laughs> fun. <laughs> it's not even the Pro Bowl, though, because they don't even play a game. It's the stupid skills crap. Yeah. So it's dumb. All right, so we just, you know, we're talking about the Chiefs. Chiefs play into their strength, which is their defense. Although, Chiefs offense has been the reason why they've won some of the, the past two Super Bowls. However, defense. Defense wins Super Bowls. That's that a reaction. Defense, defense is back. It's no longer about the offenses. Yeah. Defense, it's back. No, this is one of those things where it's like anything can win, in my opinion. Anything can win a championship as long as you're that good at it. If you have one of the most dominant defenses ever, you can win a Super Bowl. If you have a really good offense, you can win the Super Bowl. I do think, though, still in today's day and age, if you're picking between having the number one offense, number one defense, if you're picking between having the number three offense and the number... 12 defense versus having the number three defense and the number 12 offense. You probably still want taking the offense, the offense. Right? I'm taking the offense for sure. And I do think that is more pertinent. Now, obviously, if the Chiefs win this year, 
it will be the defense was the better unit, but it's like you still had Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> right? So I, I I do think defense. So basically, you're saying you. okay, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. If you didn't have Patrick Mahomes, would you want the better defense or the better offense? Brr. Minus Patrick Mahomes. So like the the comparison here is you don't have Patrick Mahomes. Would you rather be like, the like, Lions, exactly, who have a really good offense but not like the elite quarterback? Defense a little shaky, or would you rather be the like the Eagles from last year? Okay, that's like a good. great defense. Yeah, or, or like the they Ravens the from this year. Ravens. Ravens this year, but they still have the MVP at quarterback. You know, not the MVP in the playoffs. Comparison. What about like the Browns? Would that be one? Except that the uh, Browns were better on the road on defense because <laughs> they were sure. the last. Plays defense on the road. Fine. Um, but no, I, it's tough. I think the calculus changes when you say, when you put in the caveat of like you yeah. have Mahomes or you don't have Mahomes. No, I agree with that. I, the quarterback is so valuable. I, I do actually think, to your point, what teams win Super Bowls typically, it's either the ones with the dominant quarterbacks or it's the ones with the dominant defenses. Like the years where it is the, it wasn't the dominant quarterback won it this year, it is the dominant defense usually. Sure. Yeah. The problem is that's harder to build and it's harder to maintain. Like usually the dominant defenses only stay together for two or three years. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, defenses can help win championships. I'm still taking offense over defense. Well, speaking of offense and speaking of Mahomes, besides Mahomes, Steve Spagnuolo was the greatest addition the Chiefs have made in the last six years. Wow. Last Is that six years, actually? man. So, so, basically, since they've drafted Mahomes, <laughs> since they've drafted Mahomes, besides, besides getting Mahomes, the best addition, the greatest thing the Chiefs have done mm-hmm. was highest speed out Steve Spagnuolo. The Chiefs in their playoff games, they give up, what, six to Miami, seven. 10 to the Ravens, seven. seven, seven to yeah. Miami, 10 to the Ravens, 24 to the Bills, 24 to the Bills, that collectively is 41 points. The first year of Patrick Mahomes when Bob Sutton was the <laughs> defensive coordinator, shout out Bob, they gave up A bajillion 50 points. points in two playoff games. They only played two playoff games. This team's already played three, and all of them are against top six offenses, and they've given up less. It is a huge addition. Make no mark. I'm trying to think what other additions came during that span, though. Okay, Sammy Watkins, he was really good in helping win the the, the Chiefs Super Bowl, especially in like the Super Bowl itself and in the postseason yeah, I mean, run. Yeah, the Pacheco. Pacheco has uh, been have, a good addition. Rashi Rice has turned into a good draft pick here. Um, have all of the some defensive of the players line, you drafted. The reshaped offensive Joe line. Yeah, Tooney, all the signing Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey. But the it's actually is, Spags. The players are more important in general. In Spags, but, we trust. But if you're making me pick one person, it's like it, it's harder to, to pick one specific guy. You know what I mean? Like, okay, sure. if I take away Legereus Sneed from the Chiefs, for instance, or, or let's say I tra- take away Trent McDuffie from the Chiefs. Yeah. Do the Chiefs still have a top 10 defense? Probably. Trent McDuffie's yeah. excellent. Yeah. But they still have Legereus Sneed and Joshua Williams and. Uh, all these guys on the on the front seven, sure. So they're worse without him, and a big part of that is is Spags. So Spagnolo is the most important. Then I'm not willing to go that far because I feel like there's okay. somebody I'm forgetting, right. and like they're play, having a dominant player is really really important. But it's not it's not that much of an overreaction. All right, I think it's time we're gonna move on from the discussion of is Travis Kelsey the greatest end of all time because he is. Mm-hmm. Let's move a little bit even further. Travis Kelsey is the greatest signing of all time, and he's also a top 10 pass catcher of all time. Wide receiver. He's in that conversation. 
So if you're just viewing him as like an offensive weapon, an offensive pass catching 10. weapon, he'd be top ten. I mean, there have been some great receivers all time. I mean, Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice Randy Moss, Calvin, Calvin Johnson, Johnson, right? Just three right there. I know, just three easy ones right there. And like, think about how many great receivers there are in today's game. Sure. Yeah. But and of all time, if you were having a basically the way I view this. If you were, like, you told the team, all the players were in a free agent pool and we were doing a draft, and you told an NFL team, we're just playing one year, forget about the age thing. Where Travis, Travis Kelsey, Kelsey is prime, and you were saying you're only allowed to take receiving players who catch passes, where does he go? Would he go in the top 10? Like, like, like if the NFL became a seven-on-seven seven league. Right. And they were like. For the current guys, he absolutely would. Yeah. But the problem is, he still wouldn't be... I don't even know if he'd be top five for the current guys. Because still Tyreek Hill would go before him. Justin Jefferson would go before him. Maybe. Jamar Chase would maybe go before him. Well, I think. I mean, uh, that's kind of a bad analogy, I guess. Because if you do a seven-on-seven, it takes away the physicality. Sure. Which would be the biggest attribute of, of Kelsey. It's such an interesting question because... Like, just inherently, the best receiver in a given season is going to have somewhere between 1,600 and 1,800 yards. Whereas the best tight end in a given season is going to have 1,200 to... I know Kelsey had a few years where like he was at like 1,400. Maybe that changes it a little bit. Um, and it's different, too, because Kelsey works over the middle of the field mostly as a tight end, whereas receivers, you might be doing more on the outside. It's so different that I don't know I, that I have a real answer to it, but mm. the way that Kelsey changes the game with having him in the middle of the field... With being able to get open, with so, probably opening things up for the receivers on the outside, I, let's I'll say, say yes. I'll let's, say yes. Let's, Not an overreaction. Let's say the Chiefs go get Brandon Ayuk mm-hmm. or Mike Evans or whoever, and they revamp the receiver core, and Kelsey comes back. What would his numbers look like next season? On where one he's hand, not could, the number one. Where it's like mm-hmm. where it's where where it's like the Chiefs receiving core next season is like. Like I said, Ayuk, Rossi Rice, and maybe they are able to go out and sign somebody else, or like Miko Hardman comes back, or Tony, whatever. Like that's the receiving core. Plus Kelsey decides to come back. What what would Kelsey's numbers look like? I mean, if on he's one not hand, the number one guy, right? You could say that by not being the number one guy and by losing would he just all those go points, off? He goes down. I think you could also make the argument though that this year he had to deal with a ton of double and triple teams. That's what I'm saying. So I'm saying next year, if the Chiefs have a much better wide receiving core, revamped wide receiver core. Does Kelsey just go off in the middle of the field? It could happen, for sure. I mean, especially with the way that the playoffs have gone, I I don't think that's that outlandish to think. Speaking of wide receivers, everyone wanted to cry all season long. Wah, wah, wide receivers suck. Chiefs wide receivers are terrible. What was Veach thinking? Why didn't he go trade up and get a receiver? Wah! The Chiefs were smart to do that. Mm. Were they not? Well, I mean, is that no reaction? Like Quentin Johnston had a bad year, so like that was smart not to trade up for him. Not trading up for Zay Flowers over the overhaul. Zay Flowers, very good player. It would have been nice to trade up for him. But based on how the AFC Championship game went, you don't win that game without Zay Flowers being on the Ravens. Because he, he got the taunting call. He got the he gets the fumble at the Which, goal line. I mean, that was a pretty bad taunting call. I mean, brother, you can't spin the ball right in the guy's face. I love then... seeing some people being like, "Oh, here's the refs again for the Chiefs." Like that was the most <laughs> obvious taunting call. And of then all same time. thing with the fa- same thing with the roughing the passer call against mm-hmm. Mahomes. You where hit he him gets, in the face. Where he literally what? gets clotheslined. What are you doing? What are we doing here? Uh, Russell Wilson, I, I think, has like. It was like, which is a random quarterback. He's like six roughing the passer calls this year. Mahomes had like coming into the game, I think 
five little. or six yeah, in little. the last like two years combined. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was so stupid. But anyway, uh, I don't know because I they still do need to do more at the receiver position. That's they're still going to add to it. They're in the, in the Super Bowl. I know they are, but just because you are in something doesn't mean you can't still strive to be closer to perfect, right? I guess fine. You can still try to be even better than what you are. Um, I'm just saying it was smart of the Chiefs not to do that. Looking back, it's easy to say after the Zay Flowers fumble. If the Chiefs would have lost what? to the Ravens, though. You, you rattled off you know, three or four great receivers. Look at this right. year's wide receiver class that's coming out this draft. You're gonna, yeah. You could have a chance to get one of those guys if you want. That could be really elite. But if the Chiefs lose to the Ravens and they only score 17 points and the receivers have drops like normal they did in the regular season, we're sitting here not having this conversation. But they didn't. I do think it worked out, though, mainly because you got Rashi Rice in the second round, who basically ended up being like a first-round pick. Yeah. All right, real quick. The, uh, the Detroit Lions, they go and lose to the San Francisco 49ers. This was their chance. The Detroit Lions are never going to be back ever again in this situation with Dan Campbell. The last time they won a playoff game and made it to the NFC Championship game was, I think, 1993. And that was like year two or year three of Barry Sanders. I don't know, something like that. I, that might be totally off. Either way, it was early on in Barry Sanders' career. And I, I was watching a documentary, and he was like, oh, yeah, of course I thought that, that we'd be back. They lose the game, I think, to, to Washington. They never went back, right? It's very easy to get caught up in this, like, oh, everything's set up. I think Jared Goff only has one more year in his contract. Then he's going to have to get paid either the big bucks or they're going to have to go with somebody else. And Ben Johnson's probably going to be leaving soon. He's one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL. He'll probably be getting a head coaching job, if not this year, then next year. Yeah, sounds like Washington wants him. And a lot of things have to line up. Packers are getting better in your own division with Jordan Love. I believe in Jordan Love. I like Dan Campbell. I like what the Lions are doing. I hope that they make it back because I, I'd like to see it it's for the franchise. Story. Yeah, it's a fun story. But if you're giving me the odds, the odds are always that this stuff doesn't end up happening again. Tough. So for that standpoint, I guess I would say not an overreaction. Let's get to our KU basketball Brutal. takeaways. Brutal. Coming up next. Two hours down, one to go. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. The Kansas City Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl. It's exciting news. Patrick Mahomes, good. Chiefs defense, good. Travis Kelsey, good. Super Bowl, good. Lamar Jackson, bad. Yeah. Unfortunately, that wasn't the only God, so thing hard. that happened over it's the It's so weekend. hard being right all the time. Put the ball in Lamar Jackson's hands, good things happen. What did I say? Who, Who did got? you pick in the KU I was taking? <laughs> I picked Kansas. <laughs> right. Gotta keep you grounded. So, yeah, uh, that was not a fun one on Saturday as much as uh, maybe Sunday was. Tough, yeah. Let's get to our KU basketball takeaways. First, positive. Positives from the game. What were they for KU? Yeah, I mean, I think with Dewan, you got you to call this a positive game for him. Uh, we talked about him quite a bit heading into this game as, okay, this is a big matchup. You know, you've got a big defensive matchup with Lipsy. This is a Iowa State team that is literally the best in the country forcing turnovers. Dewan has had some games where he's been shaky. You figure you needed him to play at a high level to give yourselves a chance to win. And he really he really did. Seven assists, two turnovers in the game. Had a bad sequence at the end of the first half, but and also ended up scoring nine points on four of six shooting. We've kind of talked about it, right? If you say, hey, Dewan, go out and get nine points with seven assists and a turnover or two with maybe a rebound or two, you take that stat line, right? You, mm-hmm. you take that performance out of him. Uh, so I think you, if you're going to be mad at Dewan, if you're going to scream and shout about how Dewan sucks and he's not good and blah, 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 can't wait for him to leave... If you're going to do that when KU loses, 
or when he played when he struggles. I think you need to at the, on this at the same time acknowledge, hey, he he did what he needed to do in, in this game against Iowa State. He played he played a quality game. He really kept the game in control. It felt like he was able to 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 move the offense and get things going. Uh, and so even though KU didn't win, Dewan himself played a, played a good enough game to put yourself in a position to win, which I think you and I both felt that that was going to be a big key for Kansas coming into this game was the level of play for Dewan, and, and he did he did his job. Yeah, Dewan was good, and hopefully that is something, if you're Kansas, that, that carries over into future games. Johnny Furphy, his, I guess, shot-making ability, there were still times where maybe defensively, you know, you, you miss a thing here or there, but Kansas is going to need that continued shot-making, and they got it in some key moments from, from Furphy, so that was obviously a positive. Could you spin this to say one of the biggest positives of the game is that you nearly beat a team who was ranked in the top 25 on the road in a difficult place to play that shot 14 of 30 from three when your best player had his worst game? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because you, there's no such thing as more victories, mm -hmm. right? There's no such thing as, you know, that that's that's not how KU built this program. That's not how Bill Self won 18 bajillion Big 12 titles in a row and has you know, won two national championships and all that. He, it's not that's it's not built on that mentality. So I can guarantee you internally they're not thinking that. From the outside, I think, yes, you can say, well, you know, kind of like we mentioned earlier in the show, the idea of, okay, you had an 18% three-point shooter who went off really. You, you were able to contest some threes, but Iowa State had their best three-point shooting game, not only of this season, but really the last couple seasons. And you're right, you had it down to one possession. You had it down to a two-point game with a minute left in the game with a chance to, to possibly get a stop and go down and maybe tie or win it. So I think from the outside, you can definitely take that as a positive. I know internally that's not what this team is thinking, right? Uh, but I think you could maybe say, okay, yeah, it was the, the deck was stacked against you with the three-point shooting on the road in an environment that is already known as being a top two or three environment, probably in the Big 12 generally. Uh, so, again, it's, it's hard to say. It's hard to walk away and say that, but I think you could make a case that, again, KU played pretty well overall, but uh, just kind of ran into, a, a, I guess, a buzzsaw, yeah. for lack of a better word. I think that's fair. Uh, the, beyond that, I will say another positive was you only had 12 turnovers. It was the number one turnover defense in the country coming in. Yeah. You only had 12 of them. Even yeah. though they did have an advantage in points off turnovers, you could have easily seen this being a game where you had 16, 17, 18, and it wasn't. So that was a positive for KU. What were uh, some of the biggest negatives for the Jayhawks? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest negatives, again, your bench. You didn't really get much out of it, right? Wasn't a great game. Uh, real struggle. Timberlake had some bad sequences. This is, so this is... So this is like what the fourth consecutive game where you've literally gotten two points from your bench, I think. Right, it's at least two straight. Yeah, but it wouldn't surprise me if yeah, it's longer than that. Yeah, so it's it's been rough for the bench. I mean, you get a you get a a combined twenty five minutes from four players on your bench, so you didn't even really get to see him that much. Uh, I think in the first half they kind of held their own with KJ on the bench for as long as he was, but you didn't get much from him in the second half. Uh, that's that's got to be another big negative, right? Yeah, that definitely is. Um, I guess in itself, the the loss is not a bad loss when you take into account all that stuff. Iowa State's a good team. It's a tough place to play. It's just where it puts you for the loss is the biggest negative. And we talked about this earlier in the show. It's because of the losses to West Virginia and UCF that this one puts you in that bad position. If you were to beat one of, if not both, of West Virginia and UCF, you lose this game, it'd be easy to overcome. But because you lost both those games to West Virginia and UCF, 
it basically means that you have to steal one back in a road game, not just a road game, but a road game you are going to be projected to lose, which they were in this case. Yeah. So you miss one of your opportunities here, basically, because of some of the early season struggles. That obviously is a uh, negative as part of this one. Um, you put no Marco Jackson as a negative for this game. I mean, I, I think just the, minutes, the bench as a whole gets a negative, fouls. right? So he is part of that. But yes, eight minutes, three fouls, one assist, one rebound, zero points. Yep. Gave, and, up, gave up a bad and one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the the couple plays, the, the Nick Timberlake one where he has the three-on-one and he doesn't pass it to Kevin or to Juan who are wide open and he misses the layup and you don't get points there. Like, that's just, no, it can't happen. And then, yeah, man, like El Marco Jackson... It was a pretty critical play. KU had grabbed some of the momentum back. It was 62-56. to 56. There were six minutes to go. And Marco Jackson just got cooked on a back cut. Hits the guy on a made layup. Yeah. So you so, compound a mistake with a worse one to make it exactly. an one. They did miss the free throw. The big takeaway I had from that play was, okay, you got cooked at a kind of a critical moment in the game. But what you can't do is go then foul on top of that on an easy bucket, right? Mm-hmm. If you if the guy gets past you, okay, you made a freshman mistake, whatever, you messed up. But, yeah, you, you can't go and then on top of that commit the foul to make it an and one situation. So, brutal. Uh, one of the negative I didn't want to toss in there, and I, I, I don't know, I guess negative, but McCuller, Kevin McCuller's efficiency. It's now consecutive games where he's kind of really struggled from the floor. He's still scoring because he's getting to the line and doing other stuff, but – I don't know. Does does the inefficiency concern you at all? Yes, I mean, and he's no. five of seven. He was five eighteen against uh, Iowa State. Five of seventeen against uh, Cincinnati the game before. He's had some games where he was like five of twelve, six of sixteen, three of eleven, four of fifteen. Those were earlier in the season, but I don't know. You concerned about that at all? Yeah. So so far in Big Twelve play, if we total up all the conference games. Kevin is averaging 18.7 points. He is shooting 42.6% from the floor, 32.4% from three, and 76.7% from the foul line. None of those numbers are bad, but none of those are, like, great either. They're all they're just all kind of, you know, 48% from two, 32 sure. from three on, on solid volume, 77 foul line. Those are all, like, basically average type of numbers when you total it up and look at, I guess, true shooting percentages and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it is a little concerning if it keeps up. Then again, there is a little bit of this. Like we heard this last year too with Jalen Wilson. There would be games where Jalen had to kind of grind it through to twenty points, and it would be a low efficiency. And there would be people yelling at, "Why did Jalen take twenty shots if he only went eight of twenty or seven of twenty? Why didn't you give those shots to Grady Dick, who's shooting forty percent from three, or to this guy?" The reason why it's not as simple to be like. You take away these shots from this guy and give it to this guy who's shooting better. Because guess what? The more times you shoot, the less efficient you're going to become. Because the more the defense is going to key on you. And the more the defense is going to expect you to shoot it. And when you are the guy who is shooting the majority of shots, you're going to be the guy who has to take the bailout shots. Sure. Who has to take the shots at the end of the shot clock. And, and part of it, too, like, Kevin, we talked about this earlier, had a lot of open threes that he just missed. And I think those yeah. are going to go in in a majority of And he of still games. ended up hitting some in clutch moments late yeah. in the game also. So. Yes, a little concerning. I just if it keeps wanted going. to float it a little. I just wanted to sure. float that. Neutrals of the game. Yeah, you mentioned the turnovers as a negative. I I kind of wanted to throw them as a neutral. I guess uh, the reason I put them as a neutral is because going into the game, that was like the one thing where it was okay. If you let Iowa State do this thing very well, which they've done very well throughout the season, you are going to lose. Period. 
mm-hmm. end of conversation. They didn't do that, right? Now, obviously, it. Uh, you mentioned that the points out turnover still favored Iowa State, but like, I don't know. I just felt like it was more of a neutral in, in this game because it wasn't. It wasn't the like you basically you took Iowa State's biggest strength and you made it to where it wasn't one of the reasons why they won the game. So I, I and but you, and you only got eleven turnovers that's out of fair. Iowa State. So I don't know. I, I kind of wanted to throw it as, as neutral. Sure, that's fair. You mentioned the rebounding also. Rebounding was basically yeah. I mean, you were, Kansas had, you, you were positive, but yeah. Again, Iowa State had some second chance points. I kind of right. throw that in the neutral category. I think that's a good one because yeah, KU ended up with more rebounds for the game, but the ones that Iowa State got on the glass were more impactful, I guess, because yeah, yeah, they had a fourteen to eleven edge in second chance points. I know that's not a huge difference, but three points in a four point game, right? Sure. Yeah, that can be the difference. So also, yeah. uh, no Iowa State spies. Put that in the neutral category. <laughs> Iowa State spies. Is that uh, fast break scoring, was nine to seven Iowa State. Yeah. That one could be up there, I guess. No, nobody's spying on huddles. That's a that's a good neutral. I don't know. Yeah, uh, you could argue KJ or Hunter Dickinson because both did not have good first halves but had great yeah. second halves. Uh, well, again, KJ didn't even play in the first half. Right. So, okay, uh, play of the game. If we're looking at this from a positive spin perspective, the Parker Brown alley oop from Kevin McCuller in the first half that was that fun. was that was pretty cool. The one play yeah. where Dewan Harris, it was like the shot clock was expiring and he just like fades. Not fade might be the wrong word, because fade implies he's like tilting back. He was like drifting forward and he shot like a floater three and it went in as the shot clock was expiring. That made it 46 38 to get you back into it a little bit. No, I I actually think if we're and that's in that sequence of the game, the play that I want to highlight, KU's down 10, 48-38, and KJ Adams has a coast to coast monster dunk. dunk. <laughs> I mean, just coast to coast down the floor. And we you know, we had kind of floated the idea of, well, is it is, could a guy like KJ Adams be somebody who is carrying the ball up the floor more in the game like this to alleviate some of the pressure off DeJuan Harris? Well, how about off a rebound, he just goes coast to coast and yams on a guy? And that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. That, that was a pretty fun one. So, yeah, that's a good one, too. Uh, Johnny Furphy hit a three off a screen curling around into the corner. That made it 64-59 with 546 left. Furphy had a dunk in transition to make it 67-63 at the under five. And then there was the Kevin three that really gave you hope. Hunter Dickinson hits a corner three, get a stop, you go down. Kevin hits the three after he couldn't hit one to that point. It made it a two-point game, and it was like, are they going to really pull this off? Yeah. But then the rest is history. Yeah. Uh, the bad plays, though, if you want to look at it as the play of the game that actually defined it, the end of the first half that we talked about, basically yeah. five-point swing, you turn it over, it leads to an avalanche of things going against you. Furphy not fully contesting the three-point shot at the end that makes 77-72. He could have made it a little bit more restricted there. And then giving up those three offensive rebounds late on that one possession. Those were probably the biggest plays that, that did you in. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Gilbert made three to to put Iowa State back up five. Uh, that possession just really, really ticked me off because Iowa State had no idea what they were doing. TJ Altsberger is a clown. He couldn't drop anything. <laughs> they were dribbling around like idiots for 28 seconds. Like three blind idiots dribbling around the perimeter for 28 seconds into that. I mean, you just it's 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 so frustrating because you get rewarded. They got rewarded. Obviously, they ultimately got the win off of bad late game offense, or not even bad late game offense. No late game offense. They didn't even run anything. They just dribbled around for 27 seconds and hit a fadeaway three from the top of the key. That's how the game was going. How the game Ridiculous. Went. Honestly, a fitting ending based on how the game went. But All right, that's our KU basketball takeaways. Let's get some audio from Bill Self and some of the players and more, not just after the game, but leading into game tomorrow against Oklahoma State. You're listening to RCST on KLWN.
depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter rcst 1320 am at gmail.com that's rcst 1320 am at gmail.com and if you want to listen live 3 to 6 p.m central time monday through friday on klwn klwn.com and the klwn app have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast